Well, today I'm going to be in part three of a series on generosity. Speaking about generosity, the title of the message is Towards the Tithe and Beyond. And probably just saying that word tithe, something in some of us rises up like, oh boy, here we go again. My goal is, my hope is, that in the last two weeks we have been laying a foundation of understanding generosity. We serve a very generous God. We serve a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. We talked in the last few weeks about uh, some of the, the foundational truths that need to get established and rooted in each one of our hearts so that we can be the kind of generous givers, the joyful givers that God wants us to be. And hopefully we're beginning to understand why he wants us to be that way. First, we talked about the fact that God created everything. Everything. You have to read all the way into Genesis 1.1 to discover that he created it all. And not only did he create it all, he owns it all. It all belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. It's all his. And we learned and looked at some scriptures that we talked about that he's created it all, he owns it all, but he delegates a lot of responsibility to us, to the church, to his children. It's an amazing thing when you think that God entrusts us with all the things that he entrusts us with. And he entrusts them, those things to us for a purpose that he has divinely ordained. So we need to think beyond the moment of our generosity and our giving, whatever it is, whether it's your time, it's your talents, your gifts, your treasure, whatever it is, and realize that there is an eternal perspective that if we grab a hold of it, it will change not only the way we think, it'll change your life. I guarantee it will change your life in ways that you probably can't even imagine yet. So then we talked about stewardship. If God delegates authority, it's all his, and we are designed to be stewards of what's his. And if everything is his, that includes us. We all belong to him. And we're to steward it. And stewardship is not a real complicated concept. It just means we are managing and taking care of something for someone else who owns it. So we're to be good stewards of all that God blesses us with, all that God provides for us. And an easy, easy way to remember what that all is, is everything. Everything. It's all His. He created it all. It's all His. And we're to steward it all for His purposes. In Colossians 1.16 it said, Of all things have been created through Him, and this is important, and for Him. He created it all for a purpose. The first, first purpose is Simply this, he created all things for his glory. So as we're stewarding all that God blesses us with, a simple question or a simple check, if you want, as to how you're doing with stewarding things is, will it bring God glory? Is it bringing him glory? Or is it bringing something or someone else glory? It's a heart check. And last week then we talked about contentment. Being content. God's people, God's children, that would be us, 
should be the most content human beings on planet Earth. We should be content if we believe God. Now, if I ask this question, I think most of us would raise our hands, but you don't have to. Do you believe in God? Yes. Then the next question is this. Do you believe God? There's a difference. Most of the world says they believe in God. As Christians, we should believe God. What do I mean by that? We need to believe that He says something, it's true. If He makes a promise, He will fulfill it. If He tells us a command to do something, we should do it. Because we believe Him. We don't just believe in Him. There's a big difference. Contentment. In 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, we looked at the Scripture where it talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness. Truly living a godly life infilled by the Holy Spirit. A life of, of holiness and righteousness led by the Holy Spirit to the best that we very, the very best that we can. Knowing that we fall short. Knowing that we make mistakes. But a sincerity in our heart that kind of godliness with contentment. We talked about contentment, and, and one of the things that helps me, because you know most of the time we like a lot of material things. It's kind of nice to know that we have some money, some clothes, a car that runs, a house that's sort of warm. It's nice to know those things. But we need to stay detached from all those things. My contentment cannot be dependent upon things upon stuff. My contentment comes in knowing and trusting who God is and what He says and what He's promised. And that way, no matter what my circumstance or my situation, we, we can be like Paul. Paul says, you know, God, I, I have had plenty and I've been in want. Whether I have plenty or in want, it doesn't matter. I find contentment. I'm content. That's the way we need to live our lives. In Hebrews 13.5, it, it nails it down to money. And we talked about money last week. We'll talk about it a little bit more today. Probably. But in, in Hebrews 13.5, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And we did talk about how we are swimming upstream against the strong current of our culture. It's almost like most of our economy runs on discontent. You just need to buy all this stuff and then you'll find happiness, peace, joy, satisfaction, and you know, whatever. That lasts about you know, a minute and then you're discontent again. Detached from those things. The rest of that verse says, Because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I stressed last week how that's the actual context of those words that I quote a lot. Matter of fact, I prayed for a couple people. I think I said that today. His promise is, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In the exact context of Scripture, it's in regard to being content, not having a love for money. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Whether you're without or you have plenty, I'm there with you. If you have a need, I'm there. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you've got so much money you don't know what to do with it, don't worry, I'll help you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Wouldn't that be a nice problem? Most of us say, amen. How many of you ought to know that it's a big problem if you've got a lot of money? You're being held responsible for a whole lot more. 
and you got a whole lot more opportunities to enter into sins that some of us that don't have much money don't even know exist. You ever think of that? Having a lot of money opens up a world over here that I don't even know about. And in that world, there's a lot of sin that's out of our reach. Praise God. Isn't it great to be broke? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This morning, we're going to look at some of God's principles for giving in the Old Testament and New Testament, primarily the Old Testament this morning. And when we look at these principles, it brings me back to the title of the message, Towards Tithing and Beyond. Now, I know as soon as I say the word tithing, some of us say, that's Old Testament. It's under the law. I'll say, well, you're sort of right. What does tithe mean for some of us that may not be familiar with the word? It simply means a tenth, one-tenth, or ten percent. That's what the tithe is. That's what that word means. We're going to talk about it because, think about this for a second. I was trying to rack my brain, and some of you can probably come up to me afterwards and say, hey, I'll, I'll fill that need. I've tried to think about when I have heard a testimony from someone who tried tithing out of a sincere heart and came to me and said, I tried it, I gave it my best shot, and it doesn't work. How many of you have heard that kind of testimony? Go ahead, raise your hand. I'd, I'd like to talk to you if you've heard that testimony. You know what I hear over and over and over and over and over and over and over? I didn't think it'd work. I couldn't afford to tithe in my own head, but I started tithing, and God has blessed me and honored me for it. That's what I hear over and over and over. So I believe that there is a whole lot that we can learn about giving, forget the word tithing if you want to, about giving and out of generous spirit that will bring great blessings into our life. Now on the flip side of that, as soon as I say the word tithe and you go into the Old Testament, we're not under law, I don't have to do that. You know what I discover if I actually have a conversation with a person that says that? Okay, put your feet under your chair if you don't want to get them stepped on. They're making excuses for not having to give. That's what they're looking for. It's an excuse not to give. And when that's the case, don't give. God doesn't want that money. He doesn't want your stuff. Because, first of all, He sure doesn't need it. And if you think it through a little further, it's all His anyway. He'll take it if He wants to. I want to share a little bit, just from my own personal perspective here, before I really get into the message. I've been impressed, I believe, by the Holy Spirit. You might believe it's the flesh, but I believe it's by the Holy Spirit to share this series of messages on generosity, on contentment, on giving. Because I believe, from my perspective as a pastor who talks and deals with a lot of people, and a lot of issues, do a lot of meeting with and, and helping and hopefully helping and, and counseling. I believe there are a lot of issues that God wants to deal with in our lives, but I hope we understand that unrepentant sin in our life is an open door for the enemy to attack. Would you agree with me on that? If I have open sin in my life, the enemy's got an open door. 
So if we're wise, we want to make sure we confess and do the best we can and go on, close those doors. But you know what I discovered in my own life? That there was things in my life that are sin that I didn't even know they were there. I didn't even know they were there. They were different aspects of pride in most cases. But when they were revealed to me, I realized they're sin. And then I thought it through and I thought, no wonder there's areas in my life that I feel like I'm under attack from the enemy all the time. There's all these sin in my life that I need to, I need to recognize them for what they are and deal with it so I can move on and know that as best I can, I'm in the right place with the Lord and I'm in that place of obedience where he will bless. He wants to bless. He loves to bless his children. And it's obedience. I believe that as we begin to understand and put into practice God's principles on our generosity, on giving, we are going to do it and honor God with it. And as we honor God, we're going to be a testimony of His grace and faithfulness. Wouldn't you all love to, to stand up and share a testimony of how you started giving generously out of a, of a, out of a hilarious, generous heart and in X number of days, weeks, months, or years, you're now debt-free. Your bills are all paid. You've been able to pour into this ministry or this ministry, and you've been able to help this person or that person because of an act of obedience, demonstrating His grace, opening the door to be experienced more of His blessings. And as I mentioned, I truly believe from the Word of God and from my own life that there can be open doors for the enemy to attack. And I believe we'll show you some of that in Scripture as we go a little further. So proper understanding of what it means to give generously, to tithe, if you would like that word. But what it does, really, it reveals where our heart is and who we trust. Do I trust my own abilities? Do I trust my material goods, my money? Is that where my trust is? Or do I truly trust God? In other words, we could go back and say once again, I believe in God, do I believe Him? It demonstrates a trust. In the Old Testament, in Malachi, Scripture you may or may not be familiar with, we'll look at a little bit more of Malachi later on, but in verse 10 it says this, The prophet is prophesying, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. And that's really the main thing I want to focus on right now is test me in this. Oakley, I need a volunteer. a boy. You can stay right down there. I'm going to come join you. You know me, right? You like me a little? Okay, trust me? Okay, I want you to turn. Well, let's let you face them. Isn't he good looking? Close your eyes. Okay, I promise I will catch you if you fall backwards. So one, I'm three. Two, two and a half, three. <laughs> I thought you trusted me. Okay, go sit down. I'm depressed. I'll try harder to earn your trust. In that verse that I just read in Malachi, it's the only place you've heard this before that God says, test me. Test me in this. 
The reality is, who just got tested here, me or Oakley? I could have said, Oakley, test me in this. Come up here, close your eyes and fall, and I'll catch you. Who is really being tested? Him. God says, test me in this. He is really testing the Hebrew people. He's really testing them to see if they trust Him and believe what He says. Test me in this. Like He's going to lie for goodness sakes? Of course not. When, he write, when we write the, see these words written in the, by the prophet Malachi, it says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Did they believe God or just believe in God? A test. What was it a test of? God? His ability to be God? Of course not. It was a test simply, do you trust me or don't you? I am the Lord God Almighty. Test me in this. It's a trust. We'll come back to Malachi a little later. As we've looked in the Scripture the last couple of weeks, we've, and we'll see it again today, what God really is interested in is the same thing He was interested in when the prophet Malachi spoke those words. He's interested in our heart. That's what He's interested in. He wants my heart. He wants all of me. He wants me. That's what He wants. The Apostle Paul said something in Corinthians when he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church that I think it shows us Paul's heart, but I think even more it shows us God's heart. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, he's writing this to the Corinthians. He's been there twice. He's coming there a third time. He's kind of been lecturing them a little bit. He even got a little sarcastic in a couple spots. But here he's telling them, I'm coming again. I'm going to come visit again. I'm coming for a third time. And he says, here for this third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. He was a tent maker. He didn't require them to take care of him at all when he went to the Corinthian church. And he says these words, For I do not seek what is yours, but you. That was Paul's heart in ministry. I'm not here to see what I can get from you. I'm not here for your stuff. I'm not here to receive a big offering. I'm not here for any of those things. I'm here for you. And I believe when it comes to generosity and giving, that's God's heart being shown to us through the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm here for your heart. I want you. And he understands and knows, because he knows everything, what a tremendous blessing that will be to us when he has our whole heart. So we're going to look at a few Old Testament today. And we're going to look at the first reference to tithing comes in Genesis chapter 14. And it's a story about Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Israel people. Father Abraham. So this is going back, way back, way before Moses and the law ever existed. And in chapter 14, the scenario is this, and it, it gives you a whole bunch of names of kings that none of us can probably pronounce. 
And at that time, kings, each city pretty much had a king. So it wasn't like this king ruled over, you know, nations or something. There were lots of kings. And when one king would go to, to conquer another city, there'd be battles and wars, and they'd, they'd take prisoners and make them slaves, and they'd steal their, all their goods, take their families, whatever. And this is the scenario that we're looking at in chapter 14 of Genesis. Abraham's nephew, Lot, was living in Sodom. And another king came and attacked Sodom. And when he took people and possessions and goods, he took Lot and his family and his possessions. And Abraham got word of this. And Abraham decides, I'm going to go and get Lot and his family and possessions. And as you read chapter 14, you'll see that he goes, and he's not worried about all these other kings. He goes, and he defeats this king, and he rescues Lot, his family, and all his possessions. A great victory. And when you read the story, you'll discover he was greatly outnumbered. But on the way back, an amazing thing happened. He met someone who is referred to as a king. And his name is Melchizedek. And when he met Melchizedek, king of Salem, Melchizedek, it says he stopped and he did something that we don't see anywhere in Scripture up to this point. There was no commands given. There was no rules, regulations, law, nothing. It says he gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything. He took one-tenth of everything and he gave it to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is interesting. He's called a priest of the Most High God. And as a priest of the Most High God, he represents God. And we don't hear a whole lot more about Melchizedek. He's referred to in Psalms 110, one little verse. And then in Hebrews, chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews gives us a little more of a glimpse of this Melchizedek. And his name meant righteousness, king of Salem, which means peace. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. And it goes on and tells us there that he actually, it says he had no brother, mother or no father. I personally think he was just making a point that he is a representative or a symbol or a type of Jesus Christ. And Abraham gave him a tenth, a tithe, out of respect, out of thanksgiving, for the victory that was won by the Lord, the Lord who fought for him and gave him the victory. Out of a thankful, generous heart, he gave a tithe of 10%. No command, no orders, no promise of any kind of return whatsoever, And this is a pattern I want you to remember as we go through this because I believe there's been so much erroneous teaching about this whole giving to get thing. When you look at this, the pattern here is this. The giver, in this case Abraham, is simply responding to God fighting his battles for him and giving him the victory and blessing him. As we go on in the book of Genesis, we see a little bit further another story where tithing is mentioned. 
This time it's in Genesis chapter 28, and this time the, the, the main character in the story is a man named Jacob. One of Isaac's sons, his brother's name was Esau, his grandpa was Abraham. And the story takes place here in chapter 28, right after, if you're familiar with the story, Jacob stole his brother Esau's blessing from their father. And Esau was pretty ticked off. So mom stepped in and says, we're going to figure out a way for you to get out of here for a while till your brother calms down. So that's what's taking place. He's, he's going on this journey to a particular place. And the scripture just simply says, he came to this certain place and it was time to go to sleep. So he laid down, he used a rock for a pillow, and he falls asleep. I wish it was that easy. He falls asleep. And he has a dream. And the dream is, he sees this ladder ascending from earth to heaven. And he sees angels just going up and down this ladder. And in this dream, the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord makes some amazing promises to him. He says to him, I'm going to give a lot of land, all this land to you, and I'm going to give it to your descendants. As a matter of fact, your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. That's a lot of descendants. And it said in Jacob, in you, all the nations or families of the earth are going to be blessed. All of these promises are being given to him in this dream as God spoke to him in a dream. And Jacob's response to these promises God says, I'm going to be with you. He knows he's on a journey. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. He says, I'm going to bring you back to the land. You don't need to worry about that. I'm going to give you all these descendants. Don't need to worry about that. It's all a done deal. And then he says, Jacob, if God be with me, I will. Now I want to address that, if God be with me. I don't believe the way it's written, the way it's structured. He's saying, well, okay. If you're really with me, then I'll do this. I, be, I believe what he's saying is, wow. If you're going to be with me and make all these promises, how can I not do something? And what does he say he'll do? He says in verse 29 of that chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 22, I will surely give a tenth, a tithe, to you. Again, notice, it's simply a response of gratitude, a response of thanksgiving, a response that comes out of joy and the promises of blessing. There's still no law. Moses isn't around yet. It's not commanded by anybody. And they're not doing anything to get anything. They're doing it out of a heart that's thankful. The message they're really sending, you know, it's all yours anyway, God. To dispose of any way you want. You're going to bless me. I am going to, out of a grateful heart, choose to return to you a tithe, a 10%, one-tenth. Then we move on to Moses. The time of Moses was tithing was made a part of the law. And it was paid a part of the law, and that law was what governed God's people. So now it becomes part of the commands of God to follow. 
to obey. I'm going to just read a couple verses. I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but in Leviticus uh, chapter 27, if you want to write these down, 30 through 33, here we're told ex- what they're very explicitly, very exactly what they're supposed to tithe on. He tells them, you need to tithe on all the fruit of the fields. In other words, you need to tithe on all your grain. You need to tithe on all the fruit of the trees. The fruit, whatever you grow. And you need to tithe on all of your animals, all of your herds. Whatever you have in your flocks. And then in Deuteronomy 14, 22-29, it lays out how this tithe is supposed to be given and then what it was supposed to be used for. And I'm going to just hit a few points that are in those verses that you can look at later if you would like. But in the law, it was written that it was, they were to give this tithe yearly at a place where God shows them to give it. Let's just say Jerusalem for easy reference. Once a year to give it. And then they, actually it says you're to take some of what your tithe is and we're going to have a little feast. We're going to have a little party. Some of the Levites, but you get to participate. And you're going to have this feast, this celebration of God's blessing, even as you're giving it back to God. And the rest you leave. In verse 23 of that section of Scripture, it tells them, you're going to do this in order that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. One of the reasons God commanded tithing to his people in the law was that they would understand and remember and know they need to fear the Lord. A reminder that everything that they have is from him. Their dependency is upon him and how they should desire to please him. Then he even makes a provision in the law that You know, if you live a long ways away from where I'm at, if you live a long ways from Jerusalem, you can take your tithe, you can sell it, and then you can bring the money with you so you don't have to bring all of that other stuff. And then when you get to Jerusalem, you buy some of the food, whatever it is you're going to tithe, and we do it that way. Made provision to make it more convenient, actually, for them to do it. And it tells us that it's to provide for the Levites. Who are the Levites? Twelve tribes of Israel. The Levites were the tribe. When they were splitting up all the land, they didn't get any. The other 11 tribes were supposed to give a tithe to support the Levites. And the Levites were to carry out the ministries that God ordained them to carry out. And we also see in this section of Scripture, there was a tithe that they said every three years, a triennial tithe. It says you're to give this tithe every three years And it's to help support the Levites, again, the the people, God's ministers. But then he also adds the travelers, the widows, and the orphans. Now I realize we are not under the law, and nowhere in Scripture in the New Testament does it command us to tithe. But can you imagine if the church really did that? How we could minister to the widows, the orphans, the travelers. Another word for travelers is refugees. If the church really did even tithe, forgetting about going beyond, can you imagine what the church would be like? 
and the influence it would have in community and changing the lives of people. When the church forfeited all of that, the government stepped in, and here we are today. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. That's at the end of that section of Scripture on tithing. The blessing's there. Again, it doesn't say I'm going to make you rich. It doesn't mean you're going to have gold coins and money and big savings account and IRAs and all. It doesn't say that. I'm going to bless the work of your hands, which typically is how God gives us what we need through the work of our hands. Those were all Old Testament. Notice, the tithes were given to God mainly by giving it to other people. Whether it's the Levites, the travelers, the widows, the orphans, giving it to other people. And God honored those who gave the tithe. And again, I, I, I probably stretch this more than I need to, but it's not to make anybody rich. That doesn't mean you might not get rich. God will bless and pour out an abundance on some, but not all. It's not a promise. It's not a give-to-get thing. It's a give out of a generous heart and a generous spirit and let God bless you as he sees fit. But he promises to bless us. Two more scriptures in Numbers 18, 21 and 2 Chronicles 31, verse 48. Both, both places in the Old Testament here where tithes are, are mentioned, it's simply, once again, to point out the fact that most of it goes to the Levites. It was God's way of supporting the ministries of those that minister. The tithe. So summarizing quickly, tithing goes back way before the law. All the way to Genesis 14, all the way to Abraham. The beginning of the his, Israel's history. And it seemed like it was an expression of thanksgiving to God. A God who fights for his people, defends his people, and gives them all they have. Under the Mosaic Law, it became a part of their formal worship. It was supposed to support the religious order, the Levites in particular. It was also used for religious feasting and celebrations. It taught people to fear God. And an interesting thing is, if you know the history of Israel, if you've read the book, they didn't do so good with the law. No better than we could do. And they didn't do so good with the whole concept of tithing either as part of the law. Which brought them to the place in Malachi where the prophet Malachi is speaking to the people of Israel. And we go back to chapter 3 that I read earlier. One verse, I'm going to read a couple more verses. Will a man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grape. Grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Yes, it's the Old Testament. 
Yes, it's part of the law. But look at some of the principles behind this. We see that God is speaking to them and He rebukes them for not tithing. Why? You're robbing God. Like God is short of something? No. He could have said, you're robbing God. He could have said, you're failing the test. I don't have your heart. Your selfishness, your pride, your arrogance has got in the way of doing what you're supposed to do. And as a result of this, you're cursed with a curse. The door is open. The challenge is test me in this. Or really, it could say, take this test. And the promise is He will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings. And the promise, I will rebuke the devourer for you. And all the nations will call you blessed. Old Testament. But many of the principles are the same throughout the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. There are principles from the Old Testament that are are just as relevant in the whole New Testament. The attitude of giving and generosity. Giving out of thankful hearts, grateful hearts. Rejoicing and celebrating in the fact that you get to give, that you get to help people, that you get to help feed people, that you get to support the Levites, those that do the work of the ministry. You get to do all these things out of the blessings that I give you. The tithe is 10%. And so many times we ask and try to come up with a reason not to pay 10%. Well, erase that thought from your mind and let me ask this question. How much of the 90% do you deserve and what should you do with it? Boy, I get convicted when I think that way. 90% is yours. I mean, think about it in the very near natural. If I had 10 $100 bills and I walked up to Oakley and said, Oakley, you did such a good job not trusting me, that I'm going to give you 10 $100 bills right now. I want to open the, the windows of heaven and bless you. And I'm hoping out of a generous heart, a thankful heart, you give me just one back. I think that's a pretty good deal. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> But that's the deal God established. He put it in law in the Old Testament. Why? to show the people where their hearts really were, to show the people that they weren't in a right place with Him. He didn't have all of them. It was just like a measuring stick. That's all it was to God. He wants the heart. He doesn't care about their 10%. It's the heart. And that principle is as true in the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. Next week we're going to look at the Old Testament. Excuse me, the New Testament. The New Covenant that we have, that we live under. How many of you know the New Covenant is a whole lot better than the Old Covenant ever was? Amen? It's so much better. God didn't just promise the people He'd feed them and give them clothes and a house if they tithed. He gave His Son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to set us free of the bondage of sin and death that we might spend eternity with Him in heaven. Wow. That's what you call giving it all. What do we need to give back? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words that I've spoken this morning, God, 
stir by your spirit. God, if there's anything I said that it was of a wrong spirit, Father, I pray that it would do no harm to anyone. But God, I pray that we would grab your truth about a generous spirit. That we would grab your truth about how much you love us. How much you love us. And how much you desire us to love you with our whole heart. God, I am so thankful that you provide and you promise in your word to meet all of our needs. That you promised that Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundantly. Father, I pray that you help us grab the principles of your word, apply them to our lives, that we may bring glory and honor to you, that we can be a testimony of your faithfulness and your grace to the world around us, and that we can live in the blessings that you have for us, and that the devourer would have no place in our lives. And as we go our separate ways now, Father, I pray you would go before us, watch over us, protect us. God, help us to see the opportunities you put before us to love people the way you love us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.